and <clears throat> people are, are welcome to join in. This is somewhat experimental because this thought dawned on me about 20 minutes ago to, to, put, to put this together in this way. <clears throat> so as a, as a hakdama, since it's, it's Rishchidosh Adar, and we're, we're going to get into Meretz um, Hashem next week, maybe we'll do, we'll do Purim also. And then the following week, um, we're going to talk about the, how it's possible maybe we can host, actually host a real live event here in the house on Purim, like we did last year. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll figure out if, if that's Shayach for those that are, um, that are daring to meet. So the story, there's, there's, there's a tremendous amount to say about Megillus Esther. There's a tremendous amount to say about Adar in general. And since many of us are therapists anyway, or have been to therapy or have, have been involved somewhere with uh, pain, suffering, darkness, and at the same time with the, the uh, transformation of darkness into light and into happiness, since we're not, we're not strangers to that. So it's, it's um, particularly interesting, the month of Adar, Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha. It doesn't say Mishinichnas Adar Bi Besimcha. It says Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, which could mean even that when a person is all the way at the bottom of, of the pit and at the end of their rope in life, it doesn't mean that you have to now become happy. Like I was talking to someone today, she said to me, yeah, I don't, this Purim thing doesn't work for me because, you know, like anybody who tells me to be happy, I just, uh, I'm not interested in anybody telling me to be happy. Happiness is personal. It's got to be on my own terms. And uh, you can't tell me to be happy. So somebody, even someone who has their own uh, sensitivity with happiness, because darkness speaks more to them than happiness, the Indian of Adar is to increase happiness from wherever you are. Wherever you are, whatever your relationship is with happiness, increase it just a little bit. So it's not that you have to reach this like state of happiness. It's raise it, raise it up, just raise it a little bit from wherever you are. And then of course, this farm explain that it says, Mishinichnas Adar Marvin Besimcha and Mishinichnas Av Mematen Besimcha. So there's a there's a question in the Gemara that when that whenever there's a timeline that's given, so does at what point does the timeline end? Does that mean that when Adar enters, you raise up the Simcha, and then when Adar ends, you stop? When when Av enters, you're supposed to decrease Simcha. Does that mean that it's just for the month of Av? Like how does that work? So the Hasidim say that Mishnichnas Adar Marim Simcha, it never says to stop. It never says to stop. Continue increasing Simcha every year. Increase more and more and more every Adar through the month of Adar through Nisan all the way until Rishchidosh Av. Rishchidosh Av comes your Mamait Simcha a little bit, and if you're if you're if you keep flowing, then that means that by, from Adar to Av you really accumulated many months of Simcha, and then you hit the end 
or like the midpoint of Tishabav, and then you stop being Mamait Basimcha. Then it's already time for Nechama. You're allowed to continue on your path of increasing Simcha, increasing Simcha, which in a certain way means that all of life is really one big journey and relationship with this Indian of Simcha. And we've talked about this in the past in terms of trying to define what Simcha means. And there's many different definitions of it, but the definition that I like and the definition that I think is important to recognize is that Simcha is really self-attunement. It's, it's self-alignment. When I am in, in line, when I am aligned and attuned to my ideals, the more I learn about myself, the more I know about myself, the more I am living my life in tune with myself, and the more that I am able to expand who I am in this world, the more natural I can be, the less uh, neuroses that I can have, the less things that inhibit me from my true self, the more simcha I have. Simcha is a both a byproduct, but also a cause for a person to get in tune with themselves, to be in touch with themselves. The more something resonates with me, that means the more simcha it brings with me. Resonance is simcha. Attunement is simcha. Validation. These are all things that are experiences of simcha. So the Svarim explained that Megillas Esther, Megillas Esther, I see there are people drinking already. Baruch Hashem. It's very nice. L'chaim. L'chaim. I can tell from the, from the faces on the screen that some of it is water and some of it is not. And that's kalakavod. Enjoy. Um, it's, it's interesting. I told this to a friend of mine that I found in my notes a few years ago that even though there's an Indian of drinking on Purim and it's a, it's in the Svarim, it's brought down that it's a, it's a tikkun. Holy drunkenness is a tikkun for, for unholy drunkenness. And so those that are healthy people and who don't struggle with alcohol addiction and, and will drink on Purim, the, their avoidance should be to try to bring tikkunim to those of us that, that struggle with addiction. Because the whole Indian of drinking on Purim is to be masakain, unholy drunkenness. That means an, uh, an abuse of pleasure, an abuse of, of that Indian that's called yayin, which is that's, that, that's a, it's for a different, a different schmooze. So either way, l'chaim, l'chaim. So getting back to this, so the Svarim explained that Megillus Esther is the revelation of Esther. Megillah, to be Megala, to reveal, to reveal Esther. Or to say it deeper, Megillas Aleph Seser, to reveal the Aleph, that's the Alufish Al-Oilam, the, ha the Hashem, the Aleph, which is Beseser, which is hidden. Megillas Esther means to reveal the Aleph that's hidden in the world. Or to say it for us, for our intents and purposes, you don't have to take the, the, the word Esther and pull it apart. You could just say Esther. Esther obviously is, is a woman's name, and, and it's the, she is the protagonist of the entire Megillah. Even though Mordechai seems to be the one who's kind of pulling some of her strings, the entire story of Purim has to do with Esther, which is really the koyach of femininity, 
which we talked a little bit about a few weeks ago, I think, Shabbos. But for our intents and purposes, what we're going to do is we're going to define Esther as the neshama. Esther is the soul. Megillah's Esther means it's the story of the revelation of the soul. If we remember, the entire story of Purim was hinged on Esther being dragged into become king to Achashverosh, to become the queen to Achashverosh. Achashverosh is all material is all materialism. It's the guf. It's this world. It's Einam Hazeh. That's that's the world of Achashverosh. He's kind of neither here nor there. He's just kind of like this white canvas who can be pulled in all different directions, who is told by Mordechai, the tzaddik, don't worry about it. It's fine. Go. And she goes. She leaves everything about what she has up in Shemayim. She comes down to marry Achashverosh. And the one thing that the entire story is hinged on is that Esther does not tell Achashverosh who, where she comes from. There's no, the Pusik says, read the Pusik, the Pusik says, Esther did not tell the nation she came from and the family that she was born into. Because Mordechai commanded her not to tell. And that seemingly like, like uninteresting fact turns out to be the entire crux of the story. It's only because Esther is a hidden Jew in the court of Achashverosh that she's then able to bring about the entire Yeshua, which really is a muscle for our relationship with our neshama, our relationship with our soul, that ultimately the soul is hidden from us. The soul doesn't reveal itself to us. But in our lives, and, and in, our, in our corner of the world, in our shiurim, in our avayda, the soul is the, the core of everything. The soul is what brings every Yeshua that's possible. Every Yeshua that's possible comes through the neshama. In all of the wars between Haman, the Yetzer, the Yetzer, the Yetzer Hara, and Mordechai, the Yetzer Atoiv, and Achashverosh and the king, and all of those stories, everything that goes on, the one thing that brings about the Yeshua is Esther. In a certain way, it's it's it. This could sound blasphemous. In a certain way, Hashem is not found anywhere in the story, because the hiddenness of Hashem is buried inside of Esther. It's Esther. That's the neshama. It's Esther bringing about the entire Yeshua, which of course, which of course, in today's day and age, uh, women women's uh, involvement in in Jewish life, at least in the in the face of Jewish life, has has a lot to be desired in terms of the the uh, the very uh, gender specific roles that that we have. So that's uh, that's an Indian for many people. I understand. Um, I don't I don't have really much to say about it, but but suffice it to say that even going beyond. The, the practicalities of men and women, what we have to look at really is the kayak of the neshama, which is, which is in the svarim, all addressed as, as a feminine, a feminine. It's a feminine energy. 
It's the divine feminine. So I want to learn together. I, we'll see how, how much we can get through. I want to learn together really three different pieces from Rav Kook. They are in what's in the Svarim that's called Aris HaKadosh. Um, these are just kind of random all over the place, but I, th I think that, that, they, that they tell a story it has nothing to do with Purim and has nothing to do with Simcha. But in honor of coming down to the story, right? Purim is the letters Pevav Reish, that's the Shirish. Sipur is also Pevav Reish. Pur, the, a, the, a lottery, Pevav Reish. All of these things have what to do with each other. If we're going to get to a point, if we're going to get to being able to be Mesaper on the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, we're going to get to Cheres at some point. So we need to first go through Purim, the Pur of Purim. And the story of the Megillus Esther, the Sipur of Megillus Esther, is really a remez for us in our own lives. Because the story is, it's a, it seems like a very non-essential story. Yes, there was a Gzera against the Jews, but it's a story, the entire story of Purim. Nobody, nobody was killed. There was no big suffering. The, the, our nation didn't sustain tremendous loss. There was nothing to grieve over. It was, a, it, was a, it was a decree that got overturned, which it's kind of like a law, you know, like we had a law, an education law that, that, that was bounced around here in New York. They appealed it, it got appealed, it went away, finished. We, we didn't think twice about it. Maybe there were a few articles in, the, in, in Hamodiyah or Mishpacha or something, but that's really about it. We don't turn that into a national, like a national commemoration. The story of Purim is really a story of recognizing me in my own life. It's the, the Megillus Esther is the story of my life. And the, the Indian of learning through Megillus Esther and hearing the Megillah and celebrating the day of Purim is really very, very personal. We do it communally, but it's really very deeply personal because it's, it's a day of the Neshama. It's the day of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, Yom Kippurim. Yom, Yom Kippur is brought down as Shabbos, Shabbason. It's the, it's the Shabbos of all Shabbason. And Shabbos, we, we just said, is the Yom Kippur. It's the day of the soul. Yom Kippur is a day that your body doesn't need to eat. It's all just the Neshama. So Purim is the day that the body is allowed to eat. The body can eat. Because on Yom Kippur, the body doesn't need to eat. But on Purim, even the body is allowed to eat. That's the, that's the difference between Yom Kippur and Purim. So let's learn together a little bit about, about the neshama and try to make the, uh, the whole concept of a neshama accessible and meaningful, even for those of us that think it's too abstract and too, uh, too out there, if you will. So let's share, let me share my screen. And of course, I don't see it anywhere on my share screen. Okay, that's why. There we go. Okay. This is a... This is from Aris HaTshuva, I'm sorry, Aris HaKadosh from Rav Kook. It's in volume Gimel, Chela Gimel, and it's page, page Reish Ayin, 270. And it's entitled, Hispoidudus the Hiskalus Hanashama. 
Despite this means to be alone, to spend time alone, not loneliness, not bedidus, not a forced quarantine, but the opposite, a choosing to be alone, not a, not a, 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 again, not a loneliness that's forced onto me, but a choosing to be alone, being alone with the scholars on Hashem and the revelation, the revealing of my neshama. So let's, let's learn what, what Rav Kook is not, not really teaching us. He's simply describing the process of life. He's describing what it's like to have a revelation of the soul. The greater a person is, the greater I am, the more I have to search to find myself. So right away, Rav Kook, Rav Kook is teaching us something. Those of us that spend a long time searching for ourselves because we feel that the self is elusive, we tend to get down because we think that, you know, we're not, we're not normal, we're not regular. Uh, why can't life just kind of flow normally like, like the rest of us? And we're, we're not outliers, we're simply less than. So if Cook is, is already teaching us something, when you get over your teenage uh, uh, nihilistic angst about how terrible you are, you have to remember, the greater you are, it requires more searching for yourself, which the inverse is true also. The less of a person you are, the less you have to search to find yourself. Those that, that are content with just living a life without doing any kind of inner exploration. So Rav Kook is, is telling us that they are not as great as the people that need to search for themselves. Again, the greater I am, the greater I have to search for myself. And the greater a person is, the more hidden my awareness of my deep, of, of my neshama is in its depth. I have to search more because the greater I am, the deeper I am. And the deeper I am, the deeper my neshama is. And the deeper my neshama is, the more it's hidden from my awareness. So the greater I am, the more I have to search because the deeper and more hidden my neshama is. Ad Until a great person needs to spend a tremendous amount of time alone. Now you could do a spider this with another person. That's not a problem. To do a spider this with another person means that you're able to have deep conversations with people that are, are in, interested in facilitating the search for the neshama. We all have, hopefully we all have people in our lives that we've met. And if not, we, we can search for people in our lives that having conversations with them increases the hispoidus, the experience of aloneness, of, of, de of deeping, excuse me, diving in to the depth of my essence. Until the person has to spend much more time alone, to increase ideas, to search for more ideas, to find more ideas, in deep thought, 
hadas, with a freedom of knowledge. Until at the end, his soul will be revealed to him. How? Because the soul will express a little bit of the beauty, ziv means beauty, of its light. Remember, you can't exactly touch your soul. It's, it's not just that it's not tangible. It's that it's really not meant for us, it's definitely not consistently, but it's not meant for us to experience completely, just to be academic for a moment. Freud, we, I've mentioned this many times, I think, to you guys, Freud's Indian and understanding the ego the id and the superego, his whole idea was that people are afraid of their unconscious because their unconscious is irrational. The, the unconscious is so broken and so animalistic that our, our, our egos do not allow our impulses to come through. But where Freud went wrong was Freud needed to let go of the concept of a soul. Because the soul is pure, is pure beauty. It's pure per perfection. It's a piece of God. In other words, now we have to understand this. All the fears that the unconscious mind has to allow itself to be expressed in reality is not because we're afraid of how terrible we are. It's the exact opposite. It's a fear because the deeper I go, the closer I get to my neshama. The deeper I go, the closer I get to that, that splendor, that beauty of pure or of pure light, of pure godliness. So if, if I'm doing the work to try to understand myself, if I'm doing the hispaididus and I'm raising up my ideas and I'm, I'm delving deep into my thought and I'm trying to open up my mind and expand my knowledge and my awareness and I'm searching within myself to find more of myself, then of course I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to contend with fear. Of course I'm going to contend with insecurity and self-doubt and and feelings of inadequacy. Of course, but the reasons for that is because the deeper I go, the deeper the closer I get to my neshama, and the, the neshama is is just too awesome. It's too big. But as our cook says, the more you do that work the more you discover your neshama. The neshama is the chelik alikami mal mamish. It's a piece of God that's put into me. Everybody has the capacity through self-exploration to get to taste aspects of the neshama. The greatest aspect of the neshama is an experience, the greatest aspect of the neshama that a human being can touch is the feeling of significance and mattering that I matter. I matter even when I don't matter. That my mattering is something that can never be destroyed, it can never be taken away. That experience, when a human being can experience that, then they are experiencing, as Rav Cook says, they're experiencing hazrachas ktsas mezive oreha, an eruption, it's a little eruption, but it's like a little explosion that, that, that kind of 
explodes off of the beauty of the soul. Va'az, Rav Kook says, and then once a person has had their Esther revealed to them, once Esther reveals itself to Achashverosh, once there's a revelation of my soul to myself, first of all, everything in my life changes. It's a game changer. You taste your soul, it's a game changer. You can't live life the way you have once you've tasted little pieces of your soul. Va'az, then, yimatzeis ashrei. Then you start to find that which is pure and good. We become raised up and elevated and transcended above all things that are broken. And we become raised up and transcended above all action. Second. So before before we read the sentences, let me just explain what he's saying. The more, once I've tasted my neshama, then my goal in life is to start to try to make all the things that I do aligned with my neshama. It's it's in other words, it's life does not anymore feel like there are responsibilities that are seeking to destroy us. Life is not anymore filled with external stressors that are that consistently drain us. Life also doesn't contain the nurturance and the caring of the pleasures of material things. Life expands way beyond that. Once I've tasted my soul, everything in my life looks different. Everything in my life feels different. Suddenly, what I'm seeking to do for the rest of my life is to bring my life in line with all of the, the, the beauty of my neshama. I'm seeking to bring everything about me in line with Hashem. My ratzon is to do your ratzon. Not because somebody beat me into it. Not because you're going to destroy me you're going to bring schar v'aynish to me when, when, when I do those things. Nothing at all. The experience of the soul is the ability for me to taste the essence of what I am. And once I taste the essence of what I am, two things happen. Number one is I'm, I seek to take all, of that, all that I can do and make it in line with my neshama. And the second thing is all that I do really becomes irrelevant to me. I'm not, I'm not so interested in it because there's something that's much larger than anything I can do in this world. So let's see what he says. We're going to skip a few lines to write, write where my cursor is. Us. Once a person can taste their neshama, yakir is called zik shel emes, can recognize, a person who tastes their neshama can recognize a little spark of truth, es called barak shel yosher, 
all of the, 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 the intensity, Barak means like lightning, all the intensity of that which is correct and good and right and righteous. That wanders in everywhere, in everything. Wherever you go in life, the world is filled with love. The world is filled with truth. The world is filled with that which is correct and good. Once a person has tasted their neshama, they start to recognize automatically those little sparks of truth, those explosions of that which is good in the world. And everything gets drawn in towards the person. It's the law of attraction. The more that I've tasted my, of my neshama, the more, the, the more that I attract the world to me. When I've tasted my soul, the world is drawn to me without hatred, without jealousy, and without any competition. And the light of peace and the strength of, of true gvura, which is assertion, not aggressiveness. Olav Yefia is now shining down onto him. The beauty of Rachamim, of mercy, compassion. And the pe'er, again, these are words of, of beauty. Pe'er means like a crown, like a beautiful crown. Upe'er ha'av, the crown of love, is shining onto him. V'cheshek ha'mifal v'ha'avoda. And desire, interest, yearning. The yearning for, 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 for avoda, for good, for, for, for expression, for connection, for productivity, for creativity. Shikikas hayetsira bahes odedos. The, if I, if I can translate these words correctly, I think what, I think what he's saying here is, shikikas hayetsira means the, the energy that's in all creation, all creative energy, but not just all creative energy, all the energy that's that's hidden in creation, and the motivation and the encouragement to, to expand and express. The, the desire, these words are really hard, the desire to be expressed fully into this world and the splendor and the beauty and the awesomeness of all that which is within can come out. All of these things, all of these good, beautiful, poetic things, which really represent all of the good, the beautiful vibes, good energy, good vibes in this world, all of these things become attracted and joined together with that person's soul, Bahaya Kodesh. And that person is holy. This is the holy version of the law of attraction, what Rav Cook is talking about here. So this is the first, the first Indian that I wanted to, uh, that I felt moved to, to discuss tonight, is the Indian of the Hiskalos Hanashama, the revelation of my, of my soul. 
the idea that what's missing from modern psychology, what's missing from really all the conversations that are going on in, in Judaism, as, as in terms of what I know, what's missing from everything is this Indian, Hiskalis Hanashama, Hispaidudus and Hiskalis Hanashama, the capacity to be alone, to do all of the work, the internal work, to search inside, to find my Nashama, to allow my Nashama to express itself into my life, to be open to expressions of my Nashama in my life. And from there, be compelled to make all of my life aligned with everything that happens, which is exactly what happens with the story of Esther. Esther reveals herself by the party of Ahasuerush. Ahasuerush is stunned. He walks out of the room. And Haman, the Yetzirah, immediately, what does he do? You would think that if Ahasuerush walked out of the room, the first thing he'd do is, is take a knife and stab Esther in the, in, the, in the chest. His whole Indian is, he's Amalek. He wants to destroy a Jew. He would, he would martyr himself like a, like a, like a, a, a suicide bomber. You would imagine that Akashverish, that Haman would be able to do that. He would be able to stab Esther in the heart. What happens? He automatically falls down on her bed and he starts to plea with her. <clears throat> and Akashverish comes back in and says, What are you doing? You're, 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 you want to sleep with my wife? Like, what are you doing? Why? What, what, why is he saying that? What does it mean that Haman fell on her bed? Haman fell on her bed because. Yes, Haman became completely attracted to her. That was the entire story. Haman became completely compelled by the neshama. The Yitzhahara became completely compelled by the neshama. And that is the entire story of everything in our lives. It's, it's, what, it's what we all struggle with. The soul has the capacity to attract even the deepest and darkest impulses that anyone has. That's the koyach of the neshama. That's what it means. That is the reason why the neshama is bedafka hidden inside of us. It's the reason why we don't see our neshama, because the nesayon in life is to bring everything back to the neshama, to bring everything back to Hashem, to bring everything back to the purity of holiness, which is tamen, which is hidden inside each and every one of us. And again, the greatest expression that we can have the words, the only words we could use to put to describe what the neshama is, it's the experience that I matter. I matter. My existence matters with a purpose, has nothing to do with a mission, has nothing to do with what I can accomplish. It's complete purposefulness. And it's purposefulness because I am simply a project of Hashem. I'm an object of His love. I'm an expression of His love. That's turn number one. So we'll make a l'chaim for those that are that are that are still drinking. I want to move on now to a different Torah in Rosh Kok, because once we know this, <clears throat> there's something else we need to know. Here we go. There's something else we need to know. <clears throat> Because the truth is that everything that happens, and this is what Freud got wrong, and what, it's what his Talmud Jung tried to do, tried to explain differently. <clears throat> uh, 
the neshama has no negative counterpart. For everything that exists in this world, there's a negative counterpart. There's the Yetzirah, there's the Yetzirah Taif. There's Ra, there's Taif. But I think we talked about this once. There's one thing that doesn't have a, counter, a negative counterpart. There's one thing that doesn't have a negative counterpart, and that's MS, truth. Truth can't have a negative counterpart. Because that which is not true doesn't exist. If it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. Right? You could say that the opposite of truth is infinity. It's really oblivion. Because there's an infinite amount of untruths, you could say. Right? I'm sitting here in this chair. I'm not sitting in anywhere, any other place in the rest of the world. So it would be false for me to say that I'm sitting over here when I'm not. So there's an infinite amount of untruths that exist to the extent where we can say safely that there's really no opposite to MS. MS is just MS. You could create figments of your imagination, which is what the Koyach HaDimyan is. The Koyach HaDimyan is not imagination. It's, it's false imagination. It's anxiety. That's the Koyach HaDimyan. It's, it's, it's neuroses. The Koyach HaDimyan is neuroses. It's when self-doubt creates a vacuum inside of me and I think I need to fill it. That's the Koyach HaDimyan. But that is not really the opposite of the Neshama because the Neshama itself is Kulay Kadosh. It's Kulay Emes. It's the only thing that's really Emes in this world. It's buried inside of me. It's uniquely given to me and it's uniquely given to you. And so everything that exists in this world when you shine the light of anything else in this world against the light of the neshama, gone, missing. It ceases to exist. Okay, so that's beautiful. That's great. That is um, uh, the ideal for each of us. But now we have to go into the questions about that I'm assuming we all have, which is, but Lamaisa at the end of the day, we don't live with the neshama on a consistent basis. We don't have access to the neshama on a consistent basis. And for many of us, we've never really tasted the neshama. So what do we, like, like, what do we do? So let's continue then. I see, I see what time it is, but we're gonna continue. And um, maybe we'll take another, another 10 or 15 minutes, but we'll just learn through this. This other piece in, in Rav Kook. Now this comes from Aris HaKadosh, Chelek Aleph, page Reish Nun Aleph, 251. And this is entitled Kior Viofi. Kior means disgusting, cringeworthy, the kind of thing that makes you nauseous. And Yofi is beauty. Is beauty. Let me, I have to make the screen a little bigger. One second. Okay, never mind. Okay. See if this works. One second. Nope. Ain't gonna work on Saturday. Okay, Kior Viofi. So now 
you see that Rav Kook here is not talking about the neshama. Rav Kook is talking about the nefesh. The nefesh is much more related to the personality. It's not as deep as the neshama. The neshama is kulay kadosh. There's nothing opposite of the neshama. The neshama is a chelik alakamimal. Everybody in this world, especially us, our avoid is to find our neshamas, our avoid is to be inspired, to allow our neshamas to, to, to ex express themselves to us. I, I was at a Super Bowl party the other day, um, and, and there was a, a Super Bowl party. I went for the halftime show because they, they needed a, a token, a token uh, a rabbi to give a, uh, a, a shear. So, so I was at my neighbor's house next door, and um, and I, I had offered to go earlier in the day, and they didn't they didn't really get back to me. They called me like right right at halftime, so I ran over there, and and somebody brought down something from the nefesh Chaim. The nefesh Chaim says that um, the neshama never really reaches down into into this into this earth, never reaches the person. So we had a little. That was like the 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 Super Bowl halftime party discussion uh, was whether or not whether or not the neshama actually descends into the body itself and whether or not we can access it. We, I didn't discuss really what we're talking about tonight, but it was like an offshoot of that. That was the discussion. The neshama is completely accessible. Our avoda in life, if we want to be Jews that are living Torah and we recognize that, that Yiddishkeit is not a religion, it's the way life is, in order to live in a, in a way where we want to be attuned with God, we have to find our neshamas. And that's something that if anybody's been in psychotherapy before or anybody's done any, any kind of work around discovering more of themselves, that's the goal. The end goal is to find your soul. Fine. But of course, there are, there are other dargas. There are less deep dargas. Lefa'amim, sometimes, Rav Kook says, miskala ha-nefesh arume ki'ura la'adam. The, our personalities, I'm going to define the word nefesh as the personalities. Our personalities reveal themselves to us in all its nakedness, in all its disgusting nakedness to a person. I get to know myself, and the first thing I get to feel or experience about myself is... It's disgusting. It's cringeworthy. I can't. I can't sit with myself. mahamara, and you're a, a person. In that moment, when a person's personality it reveals himself, reveals itself to us, and it's a cringeworthy experience. I feel that that either tremendous fear of inadequacy, or I feel like really like I'm just gonna. I can't stand myself. I want to run out of my own body. And you're really bahel, bahala means like really just tripped up about it. So he says like this, it's only through this, it's only in that moment when a person experiences how disgusting they are to themselves. It's only through that that a person can comfort himself. It's only through that you can comfort yourself. Why? 
based on the degree to which you feel you're disgusting, the degree to which you recognize the cringeworthiness of your own personality, your own impurity, your own impulses, your own failures, your own losses, your own disgustingness. The degree to which I think I'm disgusting that is the extent of how beautiful I am. It's Hashem made me within myself. The degree to which I am a failure is the, is the degree to which within me is not just the capacity for success, but the beauty and the purity of success. It's in me. So Rav Kook is saying that when a person gets, when a person meets that which is disgusting within themselves, when a person meets all the inadequacies, <clears throat> he has to he has to calm himself down by recognizing that there's no such thing that within me there's something so negative that I can't be equally as beautiful. And after and after I've transcended from the imagery of that disgustingness, and our eyes get awoke, get awoken, awoke. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that word. I'm really, really, really not woke. That's really, that's really the truth. Um, but <laughs> that's really funny. Okay. I should probably make another L'chaim. And my eyes get radiated, radiated. Oh my goodness. My eyes get enlightened to the 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 beauty that's within my nefesh, the Ainav Yiru Vinaharu. And now our eyes see, and our eyes now can become flowing with the beauty of that which is within me. And then from there, I will have a nechama of all of the demyoinus, of all of the anxieties and all the inadequacies and all the self-doubt and all the cringeworthiness and all the criticism, all the negativity, all of those things. All of those things will have a nechama through the very paradoxical nature that if I find something negative in me, there's an equal and opposite positive force. There cannot be anything within me that is so bad that there isn't an equal and opposite positive force. Now, for many of us, that could feel almost very scary. Because if I recognize the degree to which I've messed up in life, then it, it creates a tremendous fear of what do you mean? I have to rectify all that. I have to bounce back, right? The non, if there's non shari toma, there's non shari kedusha. And how am I going to do that? How am I going to bounce back? How am I going to rectify all of it? How am I going to raise myself up? 
or if there's positive in this world, then somehow that creates a responsibility for me to be more, to be more, to grow more, which it does. It does. The more recognition you have of how great you are, the more achrayis, the more responsibility you have to take in life. And that's, that's very much something that we, we struggle with. But this story of the cure of Yofi, of the very paradoxical Zelu Umazeh that exists within me, can only be understood, maybe, maybe if next, maybe we'll see next time if we'll do the third, that third piece of Rav Cook, can only be understood if I recognize first I have a neshama. Because all the yoifi that's within me is not just paradoxically the same energy as the negative, just a positive energy. But like we've said many times, if there's a neshama within me, that means the koyach hayoifi the beauty that which is within me is greater than the strength of all the negativity. A little bit of light can push away a lot of darkness. The beauty of one good deed shines much, much greater than the darkness of, that all darkness inhibits. And that's because I have an neshama. Mishanichnas Adar Marvin Besimcha. So this is Purim, Purim for introverts, Purim for, for Panemius. If you want to know what Purim means on a Panemiusic level, what we're talking about is that the Indian of Simcha is the capacity for me to find my neshama. The journey towards my neshama could be filled with tremendous amount of pain, a tremendous amount of tsar. We think about what Esther did with her life by putting herself into this planet, by putting herself into, into Akashverish's court, she never, she never comes back. Kasher avadati avadati. She loses, she's lost. And in a certain way, she's scarred for life. And that loneliness is a loneliness. There, right? What does it say? Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. There's a follow-up line to that. Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned. Um, and something like, uh, and, and something like, uh, and and hell is not as bad as a woman alone, or something like that. There's some there's some there's some line like that, and I don't mean to touch any raw nerves, but the loneliness that the neshama experiences when she comes into this world is is hell itself. The Ramchal says that. The Ramchal says that that hell is actually the neshama leaving Shemayim and coming down into planet Earth. But the flip side of all of that is the neshama comes into hell in order to give me, little old me, the capacity for me to reach heaven. And that's the whole story of Purim. It's all one big paradox. It's all one big revelation that each and every one of us has devoted our lives to, and each and every one of us are continuing to, to devote our lives to, which is to find my neshama, to find my soul. And then, to, then once I found that, it's such an awesome experience. All I want to do is to bring my life in line with that. And when I can't, that's painful. You think it's pain? We think it's pain to be traumatized. We think it's pain to be neglected or rejected or to be abused. All those things are very painful. But essentially what's painful about all those things is that those things rip us away from our neshamas. 
And sometimes it's only the people that have been through hell that are what Rav Cook was saying in the first line are the biggest, the biggest people. Why it works that way, that's one of the, it's the secret of Gullus, why Hashem created pain. Why did Hashem create pain? That's the Sayyid HaGullus. We, there's no way to explain that. But all of the story of, of Megillus Esther begins with the, the mess-ups, right? All the Jewish people go to the party of Achishverosh, it's one big orgy, and they're just hanging out and partying, and, and, and it's like, what does that have to do with anything, right? Vashti gets killed, it's like such a side little story, like what are we telling all that stuff for? So this farm explain. The whole context of the story of Megillus Esther which in, in the way we're interpreting it now, the whole story of me being Megala, my neshama, comes from mess-ups. It, it comes through failure. The more I fail, the more I have a need to dig deeper and to find deeper and to search deeper and to dig deeper and to find more of who I am and more of who I am. And the more I do that, the more Hashem gives me the koyach, those little sparks, those little spritzes that come off my neshama, like the sun, right? The sun shoots out you know, material all the time. It's like a volcano, the sun. It's not just a little round cozy ball. It's a, it's a, it's a ball of energy that's consistently shooting material out of it. That's, that's, it's a muscle from the neshama. So we should all be zaycha to taste. There's no simcha in the world like tasting my neshama, like tasting my soul. And it's a, it's a very sad thing that, that we don't have enough people to articulate these kind of ideas because they're not, they're not my ideas. They're, 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 it's a lost part of our Yiddishkeit. It's, it's, I'm sorry to say it, people, people run to India to find their souls and then somehow <clears throat> the Torah gets a bad rap because the Torah is not soulful. Especially now, we entered Parshas, Parshas Mishpatim. This is like where everybody drops off. It's like, wow, Matan Torah, that's great. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's epic. It's dramatic. If you have an Eved, do it like this. If you have a this, you do it like that. And everybody, suddenly everybody's gone. Now everybody's, okay, now, now we're going to bring uh, Jonathan Sachs to Shul or, or some, some other you know, uh, interesting Kabbalistic thing. It, it sometimes feels that way. It feels like Yiddishkeit is just a bunch of mishpatim. It's, but it's just a bunch of rituals. And like this woman said to me today, like, don't tell me to be happy. I don't need a mitzvah to be happy. No, you're going to tell me a mitzvah to be happy. I'll be a party pooper. I'm going to sit in my house and watch. This is what she said to me. I, I sit in my house every Purim and I watch a movie. I watch a movie and people come collecting. They knock on the door and they, they sing and they sing. And I tell them, stop, stop. And I tell my husband he wants to do Purim. He's doing it on the porch. I'm watching a movie. Rebellious, it's it, it's 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 the sad. I mean, my heart breaks. It's the saddest thing because what she's saying is, you can't have simcha together with the Torah. You can't have simcha together with God. Simcha is on the outskirts. Religion is obedience. L'chaim, l'chaim. We should be zayichet to the the true revelation, not just of the soul of ourselves but the soul of each other and the soul of the Jewish people and the soul of all humanity and the soul of the world should reveal itself with the coming of Mashiach and 
the time of not just Marbim B'Simcha, but where the epitome of Simcha will be the language that everyone experiences and everyone speaks. And um, wishing everyone a Freilich Apparent.